So tonight is a night where we gather in remembrance of Christ. We take time to dwell upon the fact that uh, uh, the power that his sacrifice offers us and his resurrection and the, the reality that as we partake of communion, we're really partaking of something more than just a religious observance. But tonight, before we go ahead and take communion, I'd like to draw your attention to a very valuable detail that we can so easily miss that really has the power to minister, us, minister to us in life. You know, of all nights, tonight I had planned to speak on <laughs> the comfort of Christ, Christ our comfort. In the final hours of his time with the disciples, as Jesus was looking to the reality of the torturous road that lay ahead of him as he went to the cross and the ensuing crucifixion that was soon to follow afterwards, Christ intentionally took time. Listen closely. He took great care to extend immense comfort to his disciples. I want you to consider that. He didn't say, hey, guys, help me, pray for me, do for me. No, he went an extra mile, and he extended care to them in the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their doubts, in the midst of their hurt, in the midst of their questions, in the midst of everything that was happening and everything that he was foretelling. He said, no, not me. I'm not going to deny you. No, not me. I'm not going to betray you. Who is it? Who is it amongst us? And all these things were gone, and they were questioning, well, where are you going, and why do you have to go, and why, don't, why can't we go, and what do you mean uh, we don't know where you're going, or, 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 or what do you mean we know where you're going? We don't know where you're going. And in the midst of all this, he took time to address their needs by caring upon them. You know, oftentimes we get so wrapped up in approaching God as God in all his majesty, God in all his might, God in all his holiness, and we forget his approach to us, the way he relates to us. Let me give you uh, some insight as to what I'm referring to tonight from Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 15. Listen to what God says through his word. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us, listen to this, in our time of need. I want you to consider the magnitude of the care that Christ has for us simply by honing in on these words. The Word of God clearly tells us that He empathizes with our weaknesses. I like the way the King James puts it. The King James puts it this way. It says, we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You know what the scripture is literally saying there? That the same things that we've been touched with and have caused feeling and emotion and, and, and all these things that rise up within us that are our natural response, it says that he was touched with those things and that he understands them and therefore we should approach his throne of grace. Watch this where we, we receive mercy and 
We, have, we, we, we find grace in our time of need. See, Christ was touched with rejection. He was touched with betrayal. He was touched with ridicules. He was touched with loss. He was touched with family dysfunction. His family was crazy. They were crazy. Just look at the Gospels. They mocked him. They did all kinds of stuff. He was touched with the lore of selfish desires. And he was touched with shame. He experienced anger. He was touched with decisions that pulled at him to go contrary to God's will. He was touched with hurt. And I want you to consider that Christ cares for you because he willingly went through the same things that you do. I need to say that again. Christ cares for you. He can care for you. He does care for you because he willingly went through the same things that you do. And according to the word of God, the difference between us and him is that our champion didn't succumb to those things. But the reason why he didn't succumb to them the reason why he did not respond incorrectly to them, the reason why he overcame them was so that we too could follow his example and learn to overcome as well. That's a good God. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 6 says. It says, who being in very nature God, this is speaking of Jesus, did not consider it equality with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, these verses literally give us insight into what happened in heaven before Jesus became a man and died for us. I want you to consider that Jesus wasn't concerned with his deity. He was concerned with the state of our humanity. He was concerned with meeting us where we were so that we could rise up to where he is. So that we can live triumphantly. That doesn't exclude us or, 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 or keep us from the challenges that come in life, but it does give us a great guarantee that he sees us, that he understands us, that he relates to us, and that in that place, he reaches us and he lifts us continuously. You know, Jesus was touched with our weaknesses so that we could be in touch with his care. He was touched so that we could be in touch with his care. Listen, if you've ever felt like God doesn't understand, the scriptures tell us otherwise. He came to live as a man and walk as a man. It was deity contained within a human body. And yet, the scripture says that he submitted himself to that of a servant. In other words... He became lower than that which, was, which he was, which was Christ. And while being Christ, he subjected himself to all the things that we can and we do experience in this flesh. He understands. 
I really feel that somebody here needs to hear that. He understands. He's been touched with what you've been touched with. And so he was touched with our weaknesses so that we could be in touch with his care. See, in his care, he provides us healing. He provides us love. He provides us wisdom. He provides us hope. He provides us strength. He provides us peace. He provides us affirmation. He provides us promise. But listen, it's in the midst of weaknesses that he supplies that. It's available. It's there. And so for the next couple of moments that we have together, I'd like us to consider just some of the words of Jesus that addressed our need for comfort and the need of the disciples' comfort in his final moments while he was with us here on this earth in physical form. Now, we're going to look at some of the portions of what Jesus stated just in John 14. Listen, you can read John 13, you can read John 14, you can read John 15. It gives you a great amount of details to the words of Jesus while he was on his way to the cross, before he, he was betrayed. But scholars believe that the, the recorded words of Jesus in John 14 were actually spoken while they were en route, walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was to spend his final moments in prayer and his disciples went to sleep right before he was to be betrayed and then shortly thereafter crucified. And I want to point your attention to these words of Jesus in John 14. He says, don't be afraid. He says, believe in me. He says, don't be afraid. Believe in me. As my wife was sharing this past Monday at 3.38 in the morning, our family spent, we spent the final hours of my brother-in-law's physical life, this, this, this leg of his race, we spent those final moments with him. And in those last moments as Lewis transitioned onto the next phase of life, he was looking off up into the distance. I mean, I can see it as clear as day just right now, like I'm there in that moment. And as he's looking up off into the distance, and we knew already what his desire was, I remember the words that my wife was saying to him. She said, Lewis, she said, it's okay. She says, you don't have to fight for us. She says, Lewis, you can go home. She says, Lewis, just keep looking to Jesus. Keep following that light that you see. And in those final moments... He entered into eternal rest. But you know, in, in those moments, something that I failed to mention is she said, it's okay, you don't, don't be afraid. Just keep looking to Jesus. Keep following that light. You know, it was in those moments that the reality, the hurt, the sting of death, ceased. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> that was hard. That was hard. But I thank God for being such a up-close and personal God that he cares for you there. And he takes the sting away. 
He strengthens you. It was in those moments that not only did Lewis embrace peace, man, but there was just such a peace. In the midst of hurt, there was great strength. Can I tell you honestly, we're good. We're good. We are well. It doesn't mean we don't miss them. But we, we believe in a greater one that has the ability to take us beyond these temporal challenges of life. So, as it pertains to this point of the words of Jesus to the disciples and to us, I want to simply say to you that fear is simply a matter of focus. Hear what I'm saying? In moments when fear is prevalent, we have the power to prevail as we take our focus off the fears we hold to and put our complete trust and confidence in Christ. I want to prove that to you, that fear is a focus. When you were little, chances are that you were fearless before you learned to respond in fear. Fear wasn't a factor. But along the journey of life, we, we, we learn things. We pick things up. And we learn fear. And we perfect it as we focus upon it. Well, let me tell you something. All it takes to change your focus is turn your direction. Look a different way. Focus on something greater. And in this case, I'm talking about complete trust and confidence in Christ. You know, while we mourn Lewis's physical departure, I could tell you this. He didn't leave this world afraid. And we're not afraid because we have a, a, a different perspective. We have a greater focus. We know he's in glory. We know it truly is well. And we take great confidence and peace in that. My friends, let me tell you something. Without Christ, I don't know where we'd be right now. Let me put it to you this way. Without Christ, where would you be right now? <laughs> right? The second thing I want to point your attention to in John 14 is Jesus made this great promise. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. A place for you. You know, upon hearing these words, it's commonplace for us to look ahead and focus on the fact that one day we'll be in glory with Christ. And you know, that's a good perspective. That's a true reality. We should do that. But there's another powerful reality that's made known to us in these words. These words remind us that this world, this season of life, and the challenges that come with it are not our final destination. Can I say this to you? Wherever you are in life, this is not the last stop. You're not done. And I, and I feel to say that so strongly because sometimes we get seized in the moment of something going on and we, it's like it's the end of the world. And don't you know that you were built to overcome? Right? See, there are points in life when life 
tries our endurance. And we actually feel like we can't make it. Now, I don't know about you. I know for some of us, you know, we're on that Jesus Junior level. And you don't feel this kind of stuff. I get it, man. I'm trying to get where you're at. But the reality is, for me anyway, I'll speak for me. How about that? Let's just keep it on me, right? Don't look at me with those, you know, high and mighty eyes, you know. But the truth is that sometimes we feel like, man, am I going to make it this time? And we would be wise to press forward like a marathon runner. You know, there are points in life like that of a long-distance runner when we feel like we have nothing more to give. We feel like we've fought, we've pressed, we've, we've strived, we've, we've given it all we've got, and we think we can't go on. But the seasoned runner knows that he must press on if he's to succeed the battle within. And he does so by internally focusing within upon the finish line that he is certain to meet ahead of him. You know, once this internal battle is won, once you get past the, the point of your muscles feeling like they're going to fail and the burn and, and the sting and the, the back pains and the weakness in the ankles and, and, and the sweat and you're tired and you feel like you're about to give up, if you just stick in a little bit longer, here's what a marathon runner will tell you, that you reach a point that's referred to by by specialists and scientists and all kinds of stuff that have studied this stuff, you reach a point that's called runner's euphoria. And runner's euphoria is a feeling of great invincibility and well-being. It's a point where you press beyond where you are and you experience that second, that second gear, that next level, that drive. And, you know, here's one thing that we fail to realize, not just as believers but as human beings, it's that we are built to be resilient. And if you will just stick it out, if you will just press through, if you will just push, if you will just trust, if you will just keep your focus on the finish line, you will get to that point where you will reach this place where you feel great invincibility and well-being. And in this, in this state of runner's euphoria, they say that it reduces your state of discomfort and pain. And you're empowered to proceed with greater ease. It's like you lose track of time and you just cruise. How about pressing through and getting there? You know, I'm reminded of the words of Paul in this moment where he says, you know, I press on towards the mark of my high calling. He says, not, it's not that I've arrived, but I keep my eyes on this prize, on this crown that is set before me. And Paul confidently declared at the end of his life, I've finished my race. I've fought the good fight. See, you may not have arrived, my friends, but I will tell you this. In Christ, you've left. You've left. And don't you ever forget your finish line. You have a high calling, the Scriptures declares. You have a crown that's laid up for you. And so I would encourage you to press forward. You know, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. But what do you say when times get tough? 
Will you say, I can't, as you focus on your hurt and your hardships? Or will you say, I can and I must, as you focus past the momentary afflictions of life and look to Christ Jesus, who is the author and finisher not only of your faith, but also of your race? And in tough times, I will tell you that it's valuable to look ahead, to continue to push. Can I just say this to you plainly? Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. You can't afford to give up. There's a next leg to your race and you're not done. In John 14, Jesus also said these words. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we humans, uh, we have a, a funny way of thinking <laughs> when we do it according to our own understanding. We tend to believe that we define the details to the journey of life. We tell ourselves, I got this. You ever been there? That's where the disciples were going wrong in these final moments. They were focused on trying to figure it out for themselves. What must we do to go where you're going? How will we discover the way? How, how do we know how to get there? We don't even know what you're talking about. And Jesus reminded them, and he still reminds us. He didn't just say, I am the way. He said, I am your way. I am your truth. I am your life. And that's a great comfort. Because the scriptures state that our lives are now hidden in Christ. Amen. Alan, you're a big dude, so I need you to stand up. How tall are you, bro? 6'4". Six, 6'4". Four. Six, four. I'm 6. So this guy's tall enough for me to just stand behind him. And Well, I'm a little wider than him, but you can barely see me. But I want you to consider what the scripture says, that we are hidden in Christ. I want you to consider that your seeing life is not based upon what you're going through. It's based upon the one that you're following who's in front of you. Thank you, brother. I remember, you remember back in the days when, well, it wasn't like back in the days, but a couple of years ago, quite a few years ago, when GPS systems came out, they had that stupid one called Garmin. Remember that? Had the most annoying voice. And you could switch it to, to different sounds. So my wife put the female version on it, and she called it Sally. And Sally used to get, what was it? Uh, savvy Navy. There you go, Savvy Navy. Sally, Savvy, whatever. She used to get on my nerves. But No, I'm serious. It used to drive me crazy, man, because we'd be in the car, and I'd make a turn or something because those things were stupid back then, you know. They weren't, they weren't smart back then, so they would give you wrong directions. Or at least I thought so. But every time I'd make a wrong turn, here's what Savvy Navy used to say. Recalculating. 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 She wouldn't shut up. Recalculating. Recalculating. Right? You know what I eventually learned with Savvy Navy or whatever her name was? I learned that it was just better just to listen to her because she actually didn't know the way, right? So why do I share that with you? Because I say this to myself first, but also to all of us. There's a valuable lesson that I learned in those earlier years, and it's this, it's that your way is not the way. 
Let me just say that again. Your way is not the way. My way is not the way. Our way is not the way. And yet we, we, we draw so much confidence and we think that we know what we're doing and we don't. We don't. In moments when you think you've got it in your own strength, you don't. So I just want to simply encourage you to tune in to Christ. You thought I was going to say Savvy Navi, right? Because he is the way. He is our truth. And listen, he provides us the way for his life, a better life. Another thing that Jesus said in John 14 was this. He says, you will do greater things. Greater things. Greater things. You'll go further. You'll discover more. You'll experience life on a greater level. You know, like the disciples in those final moments, we sometimes forget that Christ has authorized us to live in a greater measure and to do greater things. So no matter what we go through in life, we would be wise to remind ourselves that there are greater things in store for me than what I'm enduring in these moments. I want you to think about it. You ever been through something difficult? Something hard? Something that you did not know how you were going to make it out of it? Well, how about this? How about taking a hold of the scriptures that tell us directly from the words of Jesus, you will do greater things. You know what that tells us? That tells us that where we are is temporary. That tells us that we're not stuck. We're just in a process of stepping in to something greater. But you got to stay in that place where you realize this is not where I belong. And so I will not settle and look at this as a permanent situation in my life. I will rise again and again and again. I can do this. I will do this. I must do this. I'm built for something greater than this situation right now. A couple of weeks ago in the series that we've been in, uh, we were looking at the life of a woman that had an issue of blood and we were reflecting on the fact that she pressed towards Jesus. But you know why she pressed towards Jesus? Because she believed that there was a greater outcome than the one she had. She kept telling herself, if I could only touch him, I will be healed. Listen. The first step to greatness is to believe the greater one. The first step to greatness is to affirm what the greater one has already declared. And so why not hold on to the fact that you are built for greater things and go for it? I really feel like some of us need to hear that tonight. Go for it. Go for something greater. And in the most practical sense, go for a greater opportunity. Go for greater things in your home. Go for greater things in your marriage. Go for greater things in, re- in your relationships. Go for greater things in opportunities. Go for greater things in your service. Go for greater things in the kingdom of God. Go for greater things in building one another, in, in helping one another. Go for greater things. That's where God dwells. That's what God has called us to. I love something else that Jesus says in John 14. He says, you may ask me 
for anything in my name, and I will do it. You may ask me for anything in my name and will do it. It's interesting to note that in their moment of great distress, the disciples were asking many questions. But the truth is they were asking the wrong questions. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because when Jesus says you may ask anything, we stop there. And we go, well, Jesus, do this according to the way that I want it. You know what that really is? You're asking in your name. According to your understanding. According to our way. Our thoughts. Our desires. Not to say that our desire, that there's something wrong with your desire. It could be well-intentioned. But Jesus says, you can ask anything, but ask it in my name. Ask it in my authority. Ask it aligned with my will. Ask it according to my good purposes for your life. See, they asked why, they asked how, they asked what, but they were asking for their benefit, for their purposes. But they didn't ask in Christ's name. You know, I know it's been said that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But I think that the most accurate, a more accurate statement is that when the going gets tough, the tough seek God. The tough find out his will. The tough ask according to his name. And the tough receive a greater reward. And so I want to just encourage you to hang in there and recognize that Christ is comforting you at all times. He's saying to you, ask. He's saying to you, I'm present. He's saying to you, don't be afraid. He's saying to you, you're built for greater things. The next thing I want to share with you from John 14, and I just have one more after this, is this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, a common experience in difficult times is our tendency to isolate and go it alone in the face of life. It's like we actually believe we're alone and have no one. That we're the only ones going through what we're going through because after all it feels like such a great weight. But unfortunately we do this by choice. But there's a greater truth that you and I cannot afford to overlook and dismiss according to the words of Jesus. He says, you are not an orphan. I want you to think about those words and what they mean. What does that do for you right now? He says, you are not an orphan. You're not alone. I will come to you. See, Christ has come to you. You know, the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that we uh, are not undergoing any temptations, any trials that are uncommon to men. It says that God is faithful. And because he's faithful, he does not let us undergo more than we can bear and he always gives us a way out and so I want to just say this to you that when you go through things or if you're going through something or if you're stuck in what something you went through what you've gone through what you're going through or what you will go through is not exclusive to you the fact that Jesus says that you are not an orphan that we are not orphans implies that we not only have God the Father, but we also have a loving family that we belong to.
right here in Christ. See, an orphan that's no longer an orphan is one who has family. One who belongs. And I just want to encourage your heart. Because there is a sickness that is tolerated in the body of Christ. It's, it's a killer, a silent one. It's this place of loneliness. It's this place of seclusion. It's this place of isolation. And we isolate for whatever reason. Because of negative thinking that we hold to. Because of what we're going through. Because we just don't want to bother anybody. Because we don't want to put weight on anyone. But don't you know that the scripture clearly tells us that we are to carry one another's burdens that it commands us to love one another and to care for one another that there is a supply that's available to each other as we function as one body see the fact that we're not orphans reminds us that we have a family and I want to encourage you whether you're online or whether you're here so just look amongst us. Look among you. Look around you for a moment. I mean, literally, like, just take a moment to look around you. I want you to realize something. Here you are thinking you're looking at someone, whether you know them by name or you don't, but what you don't realize is that maybe if that's all you saw, you just missed Christ. You're not alone. He's present when you leave here, but he's present when you're here. And his power is even more prevalent when we join as one. And so let's cling to one another. I will tell you this. The fact that my wife shared what just happened in our lives this past week is not for the purpose of attention or sympathy. It's because we only know how to do this one way, this walk of faith, transparently. And I'm going to tell you something. We run to the Father, but we also know that we have family right here. And so there's no weakness. There's, there's none of that in our, in our perspective. Listen, we know we're safe among the body. We know that there's comfort and there's strength. And we thank God for each and every one of you. But I, I say that to you because you're hearing that from me. But I pray that that's your heart and that's your belief and that you will cling to the Father as you cling to his people. We're better as one. The last thing I want to leave you with here tonight before we take communion is this. Jesus said in John 14, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, peace is not found in the absence of problems. Peace is found in the assurance of God's presence that is given to us and is always ministering to us. Listen to this. Jesus understood that in those moments the disciples were troubled. They were distressed. But he also understood what they were about to endure 
as they ran away, the guilt, the shame, the challenges. He saw Peter in his hurt while he was fishing and questioning, is that the Lord? And running to him while he hung his head. He understood what they were going through and what they would go through. And so he says to them, my peace I give to you, but not just for this moment, but for the journey. See, his peace is available to us not just in the moments of our weaknesses. It's also available to us in the moments when we'll need it further on in the journey. And so I encourage you to take this picture of Christ as our comforter. Because in the moment when he needed comfort, Jesus decided to comfort us. That's a good God. That's the Christ that lives in you. That's the one that you stand behind. That's the one that you profess as Lord and King. That's the one that you look to. That's the one that's with you and I. It's Christ, our comfort. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.